welcome to the podcast, The Common Bridge with Richard Helpy. Rich is a successful entrepreneur in the technology, health, and finance space. He and his wife, Leslie, are also philanthropists with interest in civic and artistic endeavors, but with a primary focus on medically and educationally underserved children. My name is Brian Kruger, and from time to time, I'll be the moderator and host of this podcast. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to The Common Bridge. Today, we were going to talk a little bit about infrastructure, and I, and I hope we do, because the infrastructure policy of the U.S. becomes uh, very important. It's been important for a while, and Rich has some really interesting takes on it. But today's been kind of an interesting day uh, on the worldwide markets and really everywhere. And Rich, welcome back to the Common Bridge. Uh, we're going to do this over the phone again, which is great. It seems to work out fine. We've had no complaints, but... Just start off, uh, been a heck of a day um, at your podcast. I guess we can use whatever language we want, but what's going on out there? Well, uh, Brian, as you did mention, infrastructure was on our topic today. It's a, it's important given the age of so many investments in the United States in roads, in bridges, mm -hmm. in dams, in power supplies, um, and, and all of those things that make everything else possible. Uh, and indeed, those are what are known as public goods um, in that as an economy and as a nation, we decided that it was uh, right to have those types of things supplied uh, through taxation and then through common use. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you know, I believe a certain level of uh, healthcare coverage needs to also move into that public good. Sure, um, sure. So infrastructure, very, very important and just became even more important in the scheme of where we are as a nation. Well, yeah, and, and I think probably got uh, somebody put a big magnifying glass on it lately, and, and you can probably come up with a better timetable than that, but it seems like it's screaming at us today. Yeah, well, think about what we've talked about with some of our guest experts over the past weeks. We've talked about uh, trading policies. Uh, we've talked about specifically policy in China. We've talked about um, things that affect uh, North America. I mean, Bill Michaels' depth of understanding where products come from and what mm -hmm. the trade-offs are, um, all riding on what policies come out of Washington. And what is unmistakable is that we are in a a time period now of greatly intertwined uh, economies. Mm -hmm. uh, it took a long time to get here. These are long-term investments, and it's very difficult to change abruptly. Yeah. And we're we're seeing the pops up when you know China or Italy or Korea uh, uh, or Seattle has an issue relative to responding to the. Uh, coronavirus or COV-19, I, uh, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then on top of that, we have the uh, Saudis say, we're going to cut the price of oil 20%. Yeah, we, we have and, a war that started today, right? A Saudi v. Russia oil war. Is that based on Russia's um, interest to get into uh, the U.S. fracking um, world? I mean, do they see us as a threat on that? I mean, what what do you think prompted all that? What prompted the war? Well, Saudis have one weapon in their economy, 
and that weapon is oil. Mm -hmm. And if you remember the oil shocks of the uh, 1970s and sure. since then, mm -hmm. the Saudis said, look, we're going to raise the price of oil. And that reverberated all through the economy. Um, by the way, side note, and I think we'll get to this at some point, um, much of what is in the notion of a renewable energy economy um, is actually very good policy for independence in, in that if we're powering through uh, renewables uh, and, and potentially nuclear, uh, we get off the not only climate effects of fossil fuels, uh, but we get away from the uh, uh, international pressure that places that are oil rich um, can bring. But that's been so, a, but but that's become an integral part of the world economy now. If it was just a war between those two, and we didn't need the oil anymore, shouldn't that be more an a more isolated uh, economic account? Why why is it really reverberating outside of coronavirus? It's really reverberating on the markets today. I mean, it's dropped as of it, now like nineteen dollars well, a barrel or something. Right, and and part of that is that the, there's uh, a price point where all where there is abundant oil and natural gas produced in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know the number today, but some years ago, a friend of mine who is a exploration geologist, um, and he was like the guy that says, okay, we're going to drill here in this manner because you know, that's what the geological formation said. And also here's how the economics and, and he said, once we got to $47 a barrel, so there's so much oil in this country that we can get out. Well, now when the price of oil falls, it starts to thwart that economic I see. where it becomes less expensive yeah. to bring oil in from the Middle East and than it does to have that domestic oil economy. And those are, you know, well-paying jobs uh, that support communities, uh, uh, support uh, a, a lot of workers, um, and it would take a while to replace that. Mm -hmm. um, we've yet to hear from Washington um, as of this early day about their policy response, although I find it you know, not believable that they wouldn't have had some indication of this, whether it be hours or days, weeks or months. Um, and then again, why uh, do they look at it as a, versus Russia? Um, of course, the you know Russian economy is a fossil fuel export economy. Uh, that is how they get their hard currency. That is how they uh, fuel their nation. So. Yes, the Saudis uh, reducing the uh, price um, of the oil it has massive implications uh, around the world. And you can see what the markets are doing. They're reacting to it. Mm -hmm. um, interestingly, uh, I've been following Delta Airlines, which because of the coronavirus um, has gone down to a five-year low, but it's still it's stabilized. And airlines buy a lot of fuel. Yeah. And so we're waiting to see how all of that um, sorts out. Um, and, you know, the markets are still going to do what they do based on um, supply and demand. Um, 
I was actually in 1997, the, the last time that the circuit breakers were um, activated during the trading day, uh, I was actually in Boston and New York when that happened. Um, we were in the middle of a secondary offering and woke up on a Monday to find out that Korea had fundamentally blown up economically. Um, and there was a company called Oxford that was also in a healthcare business that announced that there was $125 million of revenue they had reported that they really hadn't made. Oh man. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, it, you know, we, our, our, uh, our offering was delayed pricing only one day and, uh, not at exactly the price point we had, but we still came out of it. And I use this as a uh, illustration that over the long haul, markets are going to uh, correct, okay? That over the long term, we're going to be fine. Um, although I do suspect that we are looking today um, at a uh, inevitability of a recession, possibly a deep recession. Mm -hmm. um, and, and now I couch that with uh, the old joke about you know, the economists at the University of Michigan have forecasted um, 15 of the last two recessions. Um, there's a, <laughs> the resiliency of the That's economy <laughs> is really, really difficult to, um, uh, to, to, to forecast. My own experience, having been in business for a long time. I was going to say, you speak from a lot of experience over the years of ups and downs. So yeah, how do you see that? Well, every recession that I've experienced, uh, we've talked ourselves into it um, because if people believe there's going to be a recession, they start acting as if there's going to be a recession, which means they defer purchases. We're not going to buy that car. We're not going to buy that new mattress. Um, we're going to put off our vacation a little bit. We're going to hunker down. Well, every one of those purchases that are deferred, that's revenue into another company. Sure. So look what the coronavirus has done. If someone doesn't take that vacation trip, then the, let's say they were gonna fly, that well now the airline's not getting money, mm -hmm. the destination lodging isn't going to get money, the uh, car rental's not going to get money. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, look what's happened to Disney stocks when they've had to close their amusement parks. And so now people get laid off because there's not enough business. As they're laid off, uh, they start spending less. Sure. And you, you, you get into this cascading recession. Now, the things that are really interesting to me is that today, the number of baby boomers we have, I'm wondering how that's going to affect the situation because traditionally, retirees have lived on more interest-bearing um, investments, which I'll, I'm gonna talk about right at the end. Mm -hmm. um, but if they're living off savings, you know, they've kind of planned for this day and it's, gosh, things are gonna be a little bit less, maybe I'll accelerate what I'm going to buy before the economy uh, catches up again. Yeah. 
And and also in recessions, look, I could said every time I've seen it, we've talked ourselves into it as an economy. And similarly, we've exited everyone by doing exactly the opposite. We've decided we're not going to have a recession anymore and started acting differently and started making those purchases, which stimulated the uh, the commerce, which led to hiring, which led to more payrolls going through the economy. And, and we pulled out of it. If you uh, recall the term green shoots as we came out yeah. of the, the Great Recession. Now, we're in, in Brent. So I'm going to come all, all the way back around to um, uh, infrastructure. Sure. And, and why I think that is so vital about pulling us out. Yeah, you mentioned to me that you thought that there's real serious uh, opportunities here. And I, I can't wait to you know have you tell me and the rest of the group, uh, our listeners, what that would be. Right. And, and I want to preface this by saying that there is no magic bullet. Um, if you go back to the uh, uh, 1929 uh, economic collapse, mm -hmm. uh, you'll see that President Hoover at that time took a lot of the actions that President Obama took to deal with a similar, although not exact, situation that both of them said, we're going to stimulate demand by uh, bringing in heads of industry and seeing if they will move forward with their spending and their projects. And we're going to go to every um, state government and see if they can move some of their projects forward. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're going to look at uh, various ways to have the federal government begin some spending to get some some uh, economic activity. So with those lessons of history there, and given there are so many unknowns in the economy, I will give you an optimistic look about how infrastructure can pull us out. And it, it goes like this. The interest rates now, as part of the two major events, the uh, coronavirus and now the uh, negative price pressure on oil is driving money out of equities into uh, bonds, mm -hmm. which is lowering the interest rates uh, on bonds. So that means that the federal government can now borrow money at very, very low rates. And there is an opportunity today to lock in some of those low rates, perhaps as long as 50 or 100 year bonds, with that money going specifically to infrastructure. So if we need to redo dams, power systems, roads, bridges, and that would be domestic spending, it can be legislated to favor domestic sourcing mm -hmm. of materials sure. and subcomponents, mm -hmm. and certainly, all of that would put people back to work in the United States. And that, and so infrastructure is not only desperately needed, it is now potentially our way out of what could be a very serious uh, economic situation. And, and, and make no mistake. It would also that, that benefit us greatly as well. It, it, that would, it would uh, kill two birds with one stone, as it were. Yes, it would. And, and so... Um, I know that we need to come back around infrastructure, and um, I think it's so obvious to so many people, and, and you wonder why it's not done. Um, and again, I think the villain in this, the culprit, 
it is our partisan par party politics. Um, it's still people want to argue over the results of the last election. Um, we're not going to solve it going to the polar extremes. Mm -hmm. um, we, we can all agree if a highway is a public good that the pothole on the affluent person's luxury vehicle <laughs> is as big a problem as it might be on a more modest car from a, a person at a different point in the economic scale. All right, that shows where we're united about let's fix the potholes. Mm -hmm. If we need reliable power sources, all right, everybody wants to be able to turn on their hair dryers, charge their cell phones, and light up their computer. We all need that supply. Uh, so we're all in this together. Uh, the only people that are the outliers are those that have honed their skills being partisans and being, you know, fueled by a media that still wants to play us off against each other. And again, as part of the common bridge, Brian, I just want to end it by saying we need to continue to send the message to our elected representatives that it's about policy, it's not about partisanship, and we need to demand that the news media report the news and give us the facts and quit trying to do the hysteria mongering and uh, alarmism that we've seen so often. Um, I, yeah, the coronavirus, I don't, it does not discriminate. Um, it's something, it's a public health issue. We've we got to take care of this. We've got to take care of infrastructure. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I don't know that anybody has a lot of confidence in our partisan Washington to get it fixed. And I don't know that anybody has a lot of confidence in the veracity of the news media that reports. Yeah, you know, right. And it doesn't really help, too. I'm, I'm on the CDC uh, website here right in front of me that updates every day, and it stops updating at 4, but it's real time. And uh, the total number of cases in the U.S. are 423, and the total deaths are 19. And not to be glib, but um, you could fit all those people into the right field bleachers of uh, O-Strike Stadium at Eastern Michigan University, their baseball field. And that's that's what we're uh, emptying shelves about right now with everything from toilet paper to whatever, screaming at one another over the fence that somebody's not handling this right. And, and there's some people that are just running around freaked out about this. And it's a shame that um, if something really happened, I mean, if a meteor hit somewhere, I mean, if we had real trouble, I shudder to think how we would deal with that. Just because right now it's let's keep all the eyes on the television shows that people can watch so we can <laughs> charge a lot of ad revenue. I'm not belittling the seriousness of, of COVID-19. There's going to be a lot of cases. There's so many more not reported. But I'm just amazed that they haven't put this in the right perspective. It, it staggers me. And it staggers me to watch the um, the dominoes fall because of these kind of numbers. Well, it's not only the one extreme of hysteria. There's the other extreme of, oh, this is nothing. Mm -hmm. And we don't know what it is. And what is certain is there will be more reported cases Lots. simply because there's going to be more testing. Mm -hmm. And as the knowledge of this 
virus uh, it, it becomes better known, we're, we're going to, you test more people, somebody might go, oh, I didn't realize I had that. I thought it was just a cold. That's where the danger is. Um, but again, until we understand enough about it, I think an appropriate level of caution um, and not overreacting in a hysterical way. And, and I think it's yet to be determined where that balance point is. Mm -hmm. um, people making preparations is not necessarily a bad thing. It's a little late when it already happens. Um, but, you know, a lesson that we learned during the oil shocks, um, you know, in the 70s and 80s, was we always keep a full tank of gas. And I think most people of our age do that exactly right, because yeah. we remember. Yeah. Um, my 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 father, um, who passed away three years ago, actually three years ago today. I just or three years ago yesterday. Mm -hmm. I just realized that. Um, he remembers a period of being hungry. He always kept a cellar full of canned goods, and it was kind of extreme. I mean, it, but. He always liked to look at that pantry. Yeah, I don't think that's of that lesson. A lot, a lot of folks from that era did that. Just that. Yeah, that that's interesting. Right. Yeah. So we, you know, we may see, you know, twenty, thirty years into the future, uh, a, a then fifty, sixty-year-old person, you know, their kid might be asking them, you know, Dad, how come there's there's Tylenol and Lysol and <laughs> uh, toilet paper here in abundance, and they're really not going to be able to explain it, but it will make them feel better. So, <laughs> right, right. you know, we, we've got those, those lessons there. Yeah. Um, we, we will get through this process. Um, we will absorb whatever the Saudis are going to do. Um, and it's, there's going to be some dislocations. We've already seen it. Um, the depth, the breadth, the duration, we, we don't know. Uh, but again, I am a believer that the investments that we can make in infrastructure are even more timely today uh, if we're smart about how we do it. Yeah, I, and I, I hope that everybody great, yeah. can can join join in in at least agreeing to that. Yeah, Richard, um, you know, one thing that uh, and, and and look, I'm not patting you on the back on here, but I am. I'm just the host of your show, but um, you always have such measured responses to the stuff that I I find it uh, inspiring. Anyway, um, we'll probably get back to infrastructure again at some other time. But what you had to say today is just so important that it. Um, Look, we can borrow money at a really cheap rate. The government can do it right now. It could put people to work, and it could take care of some of the problems we have. But um, we'll wrap this up now, and, and, and thanks a whole bunch. Um, and uh, we'll see you uh, next week. Actually, maybe later this week. I might bug you again to get some quick takes from you. But uh, we'll see you next week on Richard Helpy's Common Bridge. Thanks, Rich. Thanks, Brian. Always a pleasure. You have been listening to Richard Helpy's Common Bridge podcast. Recording and post-production provided by Stunt3 Multimedia. All rights are reserved by Richard Helpy. For more information, visit richardhelpy.com.